0: Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, the trio of racist murderers who slave track young Ahmed Abaray are convicted of murder. We'll hear from the family and their friends. Also, the first Native American Interior Secretary, Deb Howland, pays a surprise visit to Alcatraz Island, which became a symbol of the struggles of Native peoples for the self-determination, their self-determination in the 1960s. And a new report reveals the extensive use of 13 pesticides in the Monterey Bay area uh, that are linked to childhood cancers. All this coming up straight ahead and more. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We broadcast every weekday from 5 to 6 from the San Francisco Bay Area over the Pacifica Radio Network. That is KPFA in the Bay Area. And we are happy to have you along. You may have heard, uh, as we said in our introduction, the trio of racist murderers who slave tracked young Ahmed Aubrey are convicted of murder. Imagine that, a little bit of justice in America. We're about to hear from the family and friends. Uh, they were out uh, after the verdict was announced, talking about the implications. We're going to start off with uh, Aubrey's uh, grieving mom.
1: I just want to say thank you guys. Yes. Thank yes. you. Thank each and every one of you who, who fought this fight with us. It's been a long fight. It's been a hard fight. But God is good.
2: Yes, he is.
1: Early in, I never saw, I to tell you the truth, I never saw this date back in 2020 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i never thought this day would come but god is good yes he is and i just want to tell everybody thank you thank you for those who marched those who who prayed most of all the the ones who prayed yes lord thank you guys yes Lord. thank you and now, now Quez, which I which you know him as Ahmad, I know him as Quez. He will now rest in peace. Amen. Yes, Thank you, you. Thank you. God
3: bless. God bless.
1: Thank you, Lord.
4: Come on. Let me find a way to step out
5: of the way. Yeah,
3: uh-huh. yeah. You all heard the good wrenching grunt. Oh my
1: goodness.
3: That came out of Marcus Aubrey when they pronounced Travis McMichael guilty. He could not contain it any further. (laughs) Because think about how long he and Wanda have been enduring all the innuendo. All the allegations, all the character assassinations, long legs with dirty toenails. Oh. Just imagine all they went through. That when he heard that, Reverend Al, he could not contain himself because Marcus, as a father, yes. Yes. they see their job as to protect their children.
6: That's right. That's right.
3: And That's right. you can experience the pain of a mother and a father who witnessed what they witness, not being there to protect their child. Yes. Yes. Every parent in America can take solace yes. in knowing that we have an example yes. of how to deal with tragedy and grief yes. when they look at the example of Marcus Aubrey yes. and Wanda Cooper yes. and we should applaud them. Right. Right. They should be applauded. Right. 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 And, and I, I tell I tell you all, we 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 together did this we all together black white activists faith members lawyers prosecutors we did this together we said america we will make us better than what we saw in that video that's right right. right. and i would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge even though we are clapping and we're cheering and we applaud. Wanda and Marcus still are devastated yes. because they're missing Ahmad. Yes, that's right, that's, yes. right. that's yes. right. Devastated. That's right. That's and right. so, even though this is not a celebration, it is a reflection right. to acknowledge that the spirit of Ahmad. Yes. Defeated the lynch mob. Yeah. The spirit of a mud yeah. defeated the lynch mob. Yeah. The spirit of a mud defeated the lynch mob. Yeah. Marcus yeah. Aubrey. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Number one, yeah. I want to give all glory to God
3: yeah. yes.
7: because that's who made all this possible.
3: Yes, it
7: is. Number two, I want to thank his mama. Yeah. And yes. I want to thank my sisters and brothers. Right. I want to thank my children for being strong through this rough time. Yes. Because I know it was hard what they had to deal with. Yes. And number two, I want to thank all y'all people, all the support y'all yes. gave us. Because yes. Yes. one of us didn't this. There you go. Yes. Ain't right. no one side did this. That's right. Ah, God put us all together to make yes, this happen. It so yes. there ain't no one side. tell so what I tell you. God don't work, work one side. Yes. yes. God work two sides. All right, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to put you there. Yeah. Amen. So y'all pull together and work this thing. Yeah. Amen. So, hey, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Amen. Because if one side wouldn't work, it wouldn't have happened.
1: That's right.
7: Yeah. You had people working when you was not working. That's yeah. right. Come on. You. When you weren't working, you had people, I ain't working, marching, going right. in these offices. Yeah. We conquered that lynch mob. Yes. <laughs> we got that lynch mob. This history of the day. Letting you know that black kid life does matter. That's right. For real, all life matters. All yes. life. Not just black children. We don't want to see nobody go through this. Amen. I would not want to see no daddy watch a kid get lynched and shot down like that. That's right, mom. So it's all our problem. All right. It's all our problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, let's keep fighting. Amen. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep doing and making this place a better place mm-hmm. for all human beings. Amen. All human beings. Amen. Everybody. Amen. Love everybody.
3: Love everybody.
7: Love everybody. All, all human beings need to be treated equally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, We've been conquer this nation Today is a good day.
5: Yeah. Amen. All right. yeah.
2: Before the lawyers come back, let me also say, as I said to all of the activists, the family thanked them. We thank a lot of those that were local. Yes. Reverend Baker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah. who yeah. stood up yeah. Yeah. Right. even He's when done. other clergy wouldn't stand That's up. Right. This pastor yeah. stood with the family. Right. The yeah. others. That's right. We want to thank Barbara Onwein oh, for and been here from the beginning. Yes, yes. All of the ministers yes. that came last Thursday. Cliff. We want to thank Cliff, Cliff. <laughs> who's been yeah. a rockin' yeah. away land. Thank you, thank you. And I want to thank, if he's watching Reverend Jesse Jackson, yeah. Yeah. who despite his illness came down and sat in that courtroom. Yeah. And all of us, this is a day white and black activists yeah. showed we could unite yes. and beat the lynch mob that kill our men. And though I never say this often, I must say we want to thank the prosecutors. They stood and fought for this family. Tomorrow, in all our joy today, there will be an empty chair. Yes. at Wanda's table yes. right. Ahmed would not be at Thanksgiving tomorrow that's right. but she can look at that chair yes. and say to Ahmed I fought a good fight yes that's right and yes. I got yes. you some yes. justice yes. We yes, can't indeed. fill that chair yes. for you Wanda yes. but we can say that you were mother. Yeah. above all mothers, yeah. you fought for your son. Yeah. And Marcus, you fought for your yes. son. Yes. And yes. even though it'll be a sober, a sober and solemn Thanksgiving, yes. you can thank God you didn't let your boy down. Come on. Yes. Come, on. Come, on.
5: Come, on. Come on, man. Thank
4: you. No. So, um, Ben and I had a A difficult task to do when showing up to this courthouse and turning the case over to the prosecutors. Um, We want to exercise, as attorneys, as advocates, we want to exercise control over something this important. Yes. And it was difficult to relinquish that control to the Cobb County's prosecutor's office. Uh, Of course, we had to under the law. And they did what they had to do to secure a conviction. And I applaud them for putting on a airtight case that resulted in conviction for all these men. They've they've invited Wanda and Marcus and their supporters to stand with them for their press conference, and so we're going to do something else that's difficult to do. We're not taking any questions. We're going to step back. We're going to allow the prosecutors to uh, make a presentation about their case as we stand with them in solidarity and thank them for their efforts.
3: And it's a good example for when Lee Merida's Texas Attorney General. (laughs)
6: Marcus, you stay else Hello, my name is Latonia Hines, and I'm the executive assistant district attorney for the Cobb Hello. County. Hello, hey. Yeah, please be quiet so we can give them the respect they so richly deserve. Hello, my name is Latonia P. Hines. I am the Executive Assistant District Attorney for the Cobb County District Attorney's Office. I bring you greetings and remarks from our District Attorney, Flynn D. Brody Jr., who was appointed as District Attorney Pro Tem for this case and for the prosecution of this case. Unfortunately, he was not able to be here due to a family medical emergency. First and foremost, we want you to know that from the moment this case came to our office, it was our foremost goal to ensure that we got justice for Ahmad Aubrey's family. And in particular, we are so very proud and thankful for the confidence that the family has given to us. We admire and commend the courage, the steadfastness, and the strength of Ms. Wanda Cooper Jones, Ahmad's mother, and Mr. Mr. Marcus Aubrey Sr., the father of Ahmad, in seeking this justice during this process. It has been a long road and we are so happy that we're able to be here at this end of this road. We'd like to also say thank you and we commend the courage and bravery of this jury Amen. to say that what happened on February 23rd, 2020 to Ahmad Aubrey, the hunting and killing of Ahmad Aubrey It was not only morally wrong, but legally wrong. Mm -hmm. And we are thankful for that. We want to thank and specifically uh, recognize some people who have been involved with regard to the prosecution of this case. In particular, our team, our lead attorney, senior assistant uh, district attorney, Linda Donikowski. Assistant District Attorney, Larissa Oliveira. Yeah. yeah! Senior Assistant District Attorney, Paul Camarillo. Let's go, Paul! Yeah. Yeah. Our Chief, yeah. Chief Investigator, Charles Prescott. Thank you, Brother Prescott. Yeah. Deputy Chief Investigator, Keith Lamone. Yeah! Investigator, Cameron Watson. Yeah! Investigator, Darius McClure. We also need to thank people from at home who've also been helping us with regard to this case. Ms. Kayla Willis. Ms. Jada Baxter, who is here, Cindy Bard, Sarah Rapp, Laramie Floyd, Matt Morgan, our communications department, our fire and EMA, IS, DOT, and GIS. We also need to thank also the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, and in particular, Director Vic Reynolds, Special Uh, Agent Richard Dial, who I believe is here with us. (laughs) Um, uh, Special Agent Jason Seacrest, Special Agent Lawrence Kelly, and Inspector Eve Rogers. We also need to thank, specifically with the Glenn County Police Department, Deputy Chief Ricky Evans and Captain Jeremiah Berquist. We also, with the uh, Glenn County Sheriff's Office, need to thank... Uh, Glen County Sheriff Neil Jump, yeah. yes. Glen County Clerk of Court Ron Adams, yes. Georgia State Patrol Major Thornell King and Sergeant Chris Black. With GEMA, we also thank Operations Managers for Homeland Security Todd Keys. What we can make note of of this is that uh, Ahmad's death has single ch- significant changes in this community, and in our state, and in this nation with the passing of Georgia's first ever hate crime bill and the changing of Georgia's antiquated citizens arrest law. We want to thank this community for the support that it has given to the family and to us and the community at large. And uh, we want to have some opportunity to have some remarks uh, also from our team. So our senior uh, assistant district attorney and lead attorney Linda Donikowski.
8: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> but Linda. <but sighs> this was a team effort I want everyone to know that this was a gigantic team effort uh D.A. Flynn Brody put his faith and trust in our team, and I could not have done it without my trial partners. They were all very, very instrumental in making this happen. We had so many people on the team that helped to bring justice for Ahmad and his family, and we really, really appreciate the support that we had and the faith from Mr. Arbery and from Ms. Wanda Cooper-Jones who have been with us and have put their faith in us and trusted us to bring justice for Ahmad. And the verdict today was a verdict based on the facts yes based on the evidence mm. yes and that was our goal was yes. to bring that to right. that jury so that's that they right. could do and the right did. thing yeah. because the jury system okay. works in this country mm. and when you present the truth to people and Come they can on. see it right they will do the right thing sure Come on. and that's, right. that's what Come this jury on, did today right. in getting justice for Ahmaud Arbery right. hey, thank, hey, you. thank you thank you Let's all, let's yeah, go. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you so much.
4: Thank you, Blessings. Yep, yeah, you ready to go?
3: Hey, you know what? Thank, let's thank Miss Polite. Hey, hey, 87 year old lady who's been here every day. Hey, hello. Let's thank this one 87 year old lady who came every, hey, every day. Hey, you all. Uh, Where Marcus at? Right here. Uh, The parents, Wanda and Marcus, and the family of Ahmaud Arbery, Lee and Cliff and Reb. all of us, we've been here most days of the trial. But there is a lady who is steadfast in her conviction. She's one of those NAACP Warriors, Reverend Al. Yeah. Miss yeah. Polite, 87 years old, has been here every day of jury selection and every day of trial. So let's thank that. Where's she at? Miss Polite, she over there. Okay. So let's thank that she wrote, Miss Polite. God bless. It's people like her. Why we got justice? Right. Yeah. All right, All right, right. Right.
4: Let's call it. Let's yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Come on.
3: Follow me out.
0: Listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine and. Um we are happy to have you along every day from 5 to 6. Now, uh, we are delighted to present to you a piece prepared by uh, our own freewilling Frank Sterling, who's a contributor to Flashpoints, and uh, we have a great deal of respect for Frank around these parts. Um, he was on uh, Alcatraz, uh, and so was the new Secretary of the Interior, the first ever Native American uh, Deb Howland was there, Uh important visit to Alcatraz. You know, if you know Pacifica Radio and you know KPFA, we have been in the center uh, and we remain in the center of the movement for indigenous liberation, working with uh, Miguel Gavilan Molina on our staff uh, and uh, in constant touch, as they all will be working to bring you a beautiful broadcast uh, on this un thanksgiving uh happening tomorrow that's coming up you don't want to miss that uh but um free will and frank uh was on the island the secretary of the interior the first ever indigenous secretary of the uh, interior historic moment we're happy to have uh these sounds uh and i believe uh, we begin with the secretary
9: Thank you all so much. I'm really happy to be here, and um, a beautiful, beautiful day on the ancestral lands of the Alone people. Gwatsi halpa, greetings, everyone. Duhiname shui shuimi hanu. I'm honored to speak today from Alcatraz Island. Like many of the public lands in the care of the Department of the Interior, these lands tell a story and you can feel it. Some may think Alcatraz Island as a place that movies and novels have described where prisoners were kept in cells and tried to escape. But for me and for many indigenous people, this land tells another story. In November of 1969, I was almost nine years old. I didn't understand it then, but my very existence as a native child was in some ways an act of defiance. Against historic policies to exterminate indigenous cultures, traditions, languages, and essentially us as a group of people. We are the descendants of ancestors who lived in tune with nature, practiced sustainability, and thrived on this continent long before the colonization of North America. Many of us are the descendants of people who endured horrific brutality at the hands of those who oppressed us. We are the descendants of grandparents, aunts, uncles, and parents who were stolen from their homes and from their families so that their cultures, traditions, and languages could be wiped away from their memories. Many of us come from families who were relocated from our homelands with broken promises by the federal government that their children would have better lives. In November of 1969, a history began with acts of defiance to take the rock. That history, in many ways, paved the way for tribal self-determination policies that President Biden and I championed just this week as we gathered with tribal leaders for the first White House Tribal Nations Summit of this administration. 52 years ago, the situation was dire. The federal government had walked away from their promises to help indigenous people who were forced to relocate to urban areas. Federal agencies refused to abide by basic consultation standards, and many native communities had lost large swaths of their lands. When indigenous people are separated from their homelands, from our traditions and from our people, the impacts are more than physical. They're spiritual. They manifest deep in our bodies, in our hearts and have lasting intergenerational consequences. I remember reading countless stories of young indigenous mothers who couldn't get housing or food for their children, indigenous students facing discrimination at school, and terrible abuse of indigenous people on the streets of many American cities. It harkens back to the memories of other kids making fun of my braids or my dark skin when I was a little girl. I never told my mother about these things. I didn't know it then, but, it, but I felt ashamed. So many of us did, and we didn't have the words to describe it. It's a feeling that tears at our souls and is in direct opposition to who we are as people. We cultivate community. We care for our environment. We help each other. We car- we crave connection to our ancestors. We love the earth. The occupation of Alcatraz Island by indigenous people in 1969 was more than a call for action. It was a cry for a sense of community and the lifeways that were stolen from us. Alcatraz was born out of desperation. Out of this we gained a sense of community and visibility in the eyes of the federal government. But more than that, our indigenous identities were somehow restored. Many people romanticize the occupation of Alcatraz, but we cannot overlook the hardships that families endured over those two years. But because of the sacrifices that were made in this place, we no longer have to act out of desperation. The fact that I'm standing here today is a testament to that fact. I am here, we are here, and we're not going anywhere. We're in a new era. We're in a new era, an era in which we can embrace our identities as indigenous people and be proud of how much we have accomplished. An era of real opportunities to engage with the federal government in which the president of the United States gathers tribal leaders together for a White House Tribal Nations Summit so that the policies we create reflect the needs of tribes. So that tribal leaders have a real seat at the table before decisions are made that impact their communities. An era in which we recognize the value of traditional indigenous knowledge in our efforts to address the climate crisis. An era in which our commitment to Native American, Alaska Native, Native Hawaiian, and island communities is reflected in an all-of-government approach to address the needs of indigenous people. It's that commitment that drives the work we do at the Department of the Interior. Whether it's restoring tribal homelands and empowering tribes to make decisions for their communities or putting the power of the federal government behind the work to address the missing and murdered Indigenous peoples crisis. And the intensive process we are undertaking to heal from the terrible impacts that Indian boarding schools have had on our communities. We are centering Indigenous voices in all of our work. Because we are still here. The will to survive is ingrained in us, passed down through the generations by our ancestors. It's already having an impact, thanks to President Biden's compassionate leadership. I know what it means to visit a place where ancestors once walked and lived, to feel their presence and feel a spiritual connection to that place. It gives me chills just thinking about how just last month, President Biden announced permanent protections for our ancestral homelands in Bears Ears National Monument. This week, we announced that Interior is taking action to protect Chaco Canyon and the greater connected landscape with its rich tribal and cultural legacy in Northwest New Mexico. My ancestral homeland. Chaco Canyon is a sacred place that holds deep spiritual meaning for the indigenous peoples whose ancestors lived, worked, and thrived in that high desert community and have cared for the area since time immemorial. Our relatives are speaking as well today. We also announced that Interior and 16 other federal agencies have formally committed to protecting tribal treaty rights in agency policy making and regulatory processes. We launched an interagency initiative to preserve, protect, and promote the rights and freedoms of Native Americans to use, practice, and develop their native languages. Additionally, the President has signed the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law which will make historic investments in Indigenous communities. This is billions of dollars that will bolster community resilience, replace aging infrastructure and provide support needed for climate-related relocation and adaptation. This funding and these efforts will be transformational in our communities. But investing in Indigenous people will not alone solve the challenges we face. We have schools and infrastructure to build. We have legacy pollution to address. We have communities that are literally being washed away by coastal erosion. And there is a racism in this country that continues to target Native people offensive names, mascots and rally cries are not a thing of the past, but their time has come. And and as long as I have a platform to speak from, I will stand against them. And that is why yesterday I used my authority to ensure that squaw, which is used in the names of hundreds of federal land units is never used again. Our nation's public lands and waters should be places to celebrate the outdoors and our shared cultural heritage, not to perpetuate the legacies of oppression. Indigenous people, and in particular women, know how offensive this word is, and I am proud to be in a position to rid federal places of it. To this end, we have created important advisory committees that will advise on other derogatory terms whose expiration dates are long overdue. We will have a process that includes engagement with tribes, state and local governments and the public. Representation matters, being here matters. No longer do indigenous people have to occupy a site to get the attention of the government. We are at the table and we're not giving up our seats. We have a long way to go to fully heal from the traumas created by historical oppression. I know that removing racist names, investing in broadband for tribal communities, and protecting native languages, those won't change everything. But change, even if incremental, is still change. And our moment is now. With Indigenous voices in power, perhaps we can create the world that those who occupied the rock envisioned. One of equity and justice. I know that I stand here on the shoulders of so many leaders who came before me. I stand here because the path that many carved ahead of me was clear, and I am very grateful for that. I intend to work with and for all Native people so that we can ensure Indigenous children have every opportunity to achieve their dreams and one day stand on my shoulders. To achieve more than we can even dream of. uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: We're going to take a couple questions from the media while our guests are uh, brought to to the program that they've got elsewhere on. Who's got a question?
10: The question is, what are you doing for political prisoner Leonard Peltier?
9: Uh, thank you for the question. I just want you to know that I have made my position on Leonard Peltier very clear, um, uh, certainly in the past, and I don't have anything to add to that right now. But thank you.
4: Thanks.
10: Do you mind identifying your outlet for us? Uh, Franklin KPFA Radio. Uh, there's like pipeline battles, um, lithium mines, copper mines, and Indigenous people are um, standing up against those all over the country. And they're asking for your help or your appearance. Are you uh, planning on traveling um, again to more different places where these frontline battles are happening?
9: I appreciate um, the question. Um, so I want you to know that I have a portfolio. I I we are in charge of all of the public lands, national parks and so forth in the country. Uh, to that extent, that is my focus. Uh, one of the things we're really focusing on is moving a uh, transition to clean energy forward. And so um, those are the types of things that we're concentrating on. I really appreciate the question. Uh, Thank I you.
10: wanted that include, like, the, the batteries and electric vehicles? How do you balance the... The mining of lithium on
9: Native lands with clean energy and clean vehicles. Native tribal consultation is is a priority of this president. Uh, nothing's going to happen on Native lands uh, at all unless the tribes say it's okay. Go ahead. Yes, my name
10: is This is Native News Online, and the question is: What are you doing to help preserve? and reinvigorate native languages, especially for Native Americans that are off-reservation, urban Indians such as myself. Is it possible to incorporate this into the United States educational system, where we constantly see German, French spanish and other
9: languages i appreciate that question and the native language um funding and all the support um it is it is connected to tribes um, and I, I all I can say is I appreciate knowing that um, that issue, and um, we'll take a look at that. But certainly, uh, this um, administration uh, supports the um, perpetuation of native languages. Thank you. you.
6: Second, yes, sir. I'll take a few more. Your historic
11: position as the first Native American captain to be here on the
9: anniversary of such a significant event like the occupation here at Alcatraz mm-hmm.
11: representing the United States government. How significant is that to you personally?
9: Well, I um, i mean, I, I had an opportunity to speak directly with these folks um, before I came to this, um, to this lectern. And um, it's significant because As I mentioned in my remarks, I stand on the shoulders of people who came before me and I stand on their shoulders. And without the uh, work that they have done here to bring attention to the issues that were happening 52 years ago... uh, I may not be standing here right now. So I acknowledge that um, that everything that's happened in this country with respect to um, Native Americans, Indigenous people making their voices heard, tribal self-determination, uh, uh, co-management opportunities, uh, cooperative management opportunities with tribes, um, everything has mattered along the way. And I'm very grateful for... Um, the role that they played in our history.
10: You mentioned that you were
11: just a young girl at the time, back in 1916. What do you remember, the stories you remember hearing about what was happening at the time?
9: Well, of course, when I was nine years old, um, I was traveling all around the country because my dad was in the Marine Corps, and um, certainly... Um, uh, focused on other things, right? The things my mom told me to be focused on, uh, like schoolwork and so forth. So uh, it took me a little while before I recognized that this was a history uh, that I needed to uh, learn about. And um, and so so certainly it, it matters even now. I apologize, we're competing with a ferry schedule. We'll take the last one
10: right here. The question is, have you been here before? And what's it like stepping onto the island today, knowing this celebration that is underway?
9: I have, yes. As I mentioned in my remarks, I travel around the country a lot. And um, everywhere we step, it's someone's, some indigenous person's ancestral homeland. And so I recognize that here, and um, uh, I I think I feel grateful that I have an opportunity to make sure that their issues that they care about are at the seat in the cabinet room while I'm sitting with the president, quite frankly, and knowing that my colleagues and the president and the vice president are absolutely listening. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. Appreciate it.
0: And uh again, uh thanks to free Frank Sterling, that was uh Secretary of the Interior Deb Halland, um er, who showed up uh at Alcatraz uh last Saturday uh to remember, reflect on um the way in which that island became the center of a movement for the indigenous communities of North America, and uh, this is, uh, of course, a tradition that Pacifica Radio and KPFA in the Bay Area has played a major role on with uh, our close relationship with the American Indian movement and uh, the kind of work we do with people like Tony Gonzalez and our own senior producer, Miguel Gabriel Molina. Uh, This means a lot to Us again, we thank uh, Free Will and Frank. Uh, The secretary did not answer some of the key questions. Uh, I didn't, I hear, I heard a non answer answer a couple of times, but it is, uh, I understand uh, that her she is in the right place, her heart is in the right place, and she is doing all that she can uh, to move uh, and to re- resist and to do the kinds of things that we all care about in terms of the Indigenous communities, so uh, more to come on that. Uh, coming up next after a short musical break, we're going to hear a rebroadcast of what I think is a uh, an incredibly Important story uh, about the extensive use of some 13 deadly pesticides. Uh, this story is coming out of the Monterey Bay area of California. Uh, these are 13 pesticides that are clearly linked to childhood cancers, and I, I have to tell you that the U.S. government, the EPA, they—they—they've done about a zillion and sixty studies. They know. That these pesticides derived from uh, poison gases that the United States created uh, to in its uh, biological uh, warfare or gas chemical warfare against its enemies um, is killing kids uh, overspraying not just in uh, uh, the various areas of. California, and of course it's impacting on the farm workers. So important story, short break and then uh, we'll uh, be back to hear from Mark Weller who uh, has uh, written a study uh, that demonstrates the problems here and the dangers. Listen to this. listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Janice Bernstein. In late October, nurses, teachers, labor leaders, elected officials, and concerned residents held a news conference and a rally with more than 50 community supporters at the Monterey County uh, Government Center. That's Monterey, California. They released a report revealing extensive use in the Monterey Bay area of some 13 pesticides linked to childhood cancers. The group, organized by Safe Ag, Safe schools called on uh, state and local governments to restrict the use of these pesticides uh, and web post uh, warnings uh, before they and other hazardous pesticides are used. Californians for Pesticide Reform strategist and long-term organizer Mark Weller wrote the report and he joins us now. Mark Weller, welcome back to Flashpoints.
11: Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Dennis.
0: Well, it's good to have you with us. The subject, though, is very troubling. Um, Tell us about the report. Tell us about what you found and something about these 13 pesticides.
11: Well, you know, our, our major concern is that this isn't the first time scientists have told us that um, chemicals in the air, in our water, on the ground are, are harming children. Um, and this was, this is a remarkably elegant study that reveals some really, um, troubling and horrible, uh, information. But our concern is that it's, that a cruel cool historical pattern will be repeating itself. And that is what we have seen over the generations in California is farm workers. Would demonstrate with their bodies um, the damage that pesticides do uh, and then scientists maybe a few years later, yep, they confirm, yep, yep, farm workers were right. Uh, this stuff is, is damaging our, our, our kids. And then, unfortunately, it will take years, decades, sometimes longer for the regulatory system to respond to actually um, protect our, our children from these things. Um, and so, one of the reasons why we've want to expose these studies to the world um, that uh, the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health put out in 2020 and 2021 is that uh, we we want to disrupt this awful historical pattern. And so we're calling these pesticides the toxic 13 because they are 13 pesticides that the scientists linked with um, with 95% statistical accuracy uh, to specific kinds of childhood leukemias and childhood brain tumors. And the really troubling thing about this is their scientific method um, showed that these pesticides were all harmful, all linked to cancers at two and a half miles from the residents of the women when they were pregnant um, before they gave birth to the children who, de- who developed the childhood cancers.
0: Who uh, Tell us something about who is being affected most and the way in which people are exposed. Uh, oftentimes, I guess they don't even realize it.
11: Yeah, well, that's one of the issues with pesticides is they are largely invisible. And the government and pesticide companies do all they can to keep them secret from us. So we don't even know this is going on. Um, and uh, pesticides um, drift. They drift for miles at harmful levels from where they are applied sometimes they're applied into the ground and they volatilize and they come up and they can drift in the wind they land in water they land in, you know uh, on our toys on our clothes in our homes through the windows um and sometimes they're applied through airplanes some you know, a lot of people are, are familiar with that kind of application um so they can come at us in different ways from long distances and very, very tiny amounts um, can do enormous damage, especially we're finding from scientific reports um, if one's still in, in, in the womb. Um, and where they're most prominent, of course, is in the um, working communities of California, in the San Joaquin Valley and in, in, in the Central Coast. And uh, you mentioned that You know, we held a news conference in the Central Coast, and indeed, uh, this is a place where, for instance, in Santa Cruz County, um, there is a zip code, um, 95076, which has six of ten of all the Latinx people who live in that county, and that is the zip code where 95% of all of these 13 pesticides that were identified by the UCLA scientists are applied. So essentially all of it is applied where most of the the Latinx population lives in Santa Cruz. And we see a similar pattern in the Salinas Valley, in Monterey, where, again, it's about 60% um, Latinx and less than 20% white um, in that region. So uh, this is an environmental justice issue, and this is another thing that we, we demand that our regulators um, consider.
0: You're listening to Flash Points on Pacifica Radio. We're speaking with Mark Weller. Uh, Mark Weller is with Californians for Pesticide Reform. They put out a report. There's something in the air, and it causes childhood cancers, uh, and it raises possible questions. Um, How Here's... I guess the most troubling about this, Mark, and we've had conversations like this before regarding situations that include this chemistry, hurting children and usually brown children. How is it that, for instance, uh, 13 pesticides that scientists at the Fielding School of Public Health uh, linked to childhood cancers are still used in the United States?
11: Yes. Well, again, it's that it's that cruel pattern of uh, you know we know it's there, and the regulators um, take their very long time to do anything about it. One is they usually rely on science that the manufacturers of the pesticides give them. Right. Um, in fact, the Department of Pesticide Regulation in California doesn't do their own scientific analyses of these; they just use pre-published reports and those are largely from um, the pesticide companies and a number of the pesticide companies have been exposed in recent years um, as lying about their their information and the toxicity of their of their pesticides so um, that's one reason the department pesticide regulation will claim there is no danger right there there isn't a problem um and so we're not being uh racist in our uh Our our policies that allow for this to be applied in uh, areas that are mostly brown
0: tell us uh, um, i I can see that you had a number of different organizations um, at your uh, press conference in october Uh, apparently there is a great deal of concern Uh, are you getting uh, more support from the liberal community perhaps where you might expect to get uh, information? is the governor been very responsible and responsive uh, regarding this situation? Because again, it's an old story. I'm wondering w- what the impact is in terms of teachers uh, who teach in schools that I imagine are victims of this drift.
11: Yes. Um- Farm workers and their representative organizations, uh, teachers, nurses—they've been at the forefront of, of of this movement of of calling for for change. Um, that has been the way it the way it's been for I think the last generation, and it's it's certainly true of our concerns today. Um, and they were prominent at, at the news conference and in the Monterey Bay region. Um, the governor, uh, you know, the the governor. Acted um, before other governors (laughs) to um, ban chlorpyrifos. I think the last time I was on with you, Dennis, we were trying to get rid of brain harming chlorpyrifos, and California was, you know, just behind Hawaii and kind of leading the way in in banning that. So uh, our kids were protected an extra two years at least um, from that uh, because of the action from the governor. And, you know, we're right now pushing for the state to require every county to um, web post all the information about upcoming pesticide applications so that because they're so slow in acting we can try to take some precautions ourselves like closing windows doors you know keeping vulnerable people inside um, avoiding uh, avoiding by miles um, places where this stuff is is applied and um, they've started uh, the the State has now started a process to create a statewide pesticide notification system. Again, that's not really protecting us a lot, but at least if they're going to poison us, they should give us a heads up.
0: Are you dealing with um, the fact that there's a lot of money and a lot of influence peddling around what's happening with uh, these pesticides? Oftentimes, I mean, th- these are uh, archaic it it is not there is no need uh, to use this kind of chemistry to hurt uh, society. But it seems there's a lot of money being made uh, uh, and a lot of money being paid out to politicians to not do the right thing.
11: And that might be the most important explanation, Dennis, that you bring up, the influence of money and these big corporations. Because in other countries where they have more limits on what companies can do in politics and things like that, we see, well, 10 of these 13 pesticides in this childhood cancer study um, are banned or not approved. In more than in 28 or more countries of the world, you know, most of our agricultural competitors don't use this stuff, um, but we still do. And I think the, the major reason is is what you just laid out the incredible influence of money in, in our political
0: system. And again, what what who are the who are the uh, culprits? What are the companies that have been most aggressive in forcing uh, this chemistry on our children?
11: Yes. Well, some of them, <laughs> people won't recognize their new names <laughs> because they've changed them of, re, uh, <laughs> of late. But DuPont and Dow united to form Corteva. So DuPont and Dow, two of the biggest corporations in world history, are now one. Um, and they made chlorpyrifos, for instance, in a number of these uh, 13 pesticides. Um, Syngenta is the company that the most recent um department pesticide regulation director left for he now works for them um <laughs> uh, and that's another huge one uh, BASS, uh another Euro- european um uh, giant and then monsanto and Bayer, now just called Bayer, have also merged so those are the four big pesticide companies that essentially control 80 85 percent of the market
0: are they in any way more responsive this year than last year, or is it only getting worse? Is the greed in control? Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that
11: uh, I think that the the community pushback has helped to do things like, um, well, uh, they're discontinuing chlorpyrifos before it's even banned uh, nationwide. Um, that's one good sign. Another is. Um, uh, they're taking, uh, Roundup, Monsanto, or Bayer now, uh, is taking Roundup off the grocery shelves in 2023. Um, again, this is before it's been banned, as it should be. Uh, and, uh, but they're still going to be using it in the field. Again, it's a, another, um, uh, environmental justice issue, uh, coming up. But, uh, so they are concerned, and a lot of this has to do with massive lawsuits that, You know, attorneys have been using in the courts um, to expose pesticide companies for lying when they do their pesticide studies and then getting tens of millions of dollars for uh, some of their uh, clients who've been harmed by these pesticides.
0: How can uh, people find out more about the work that you do or their websites, information? They might want to join you. They might want to join the fight. Who knows? Uh, a lot of Absolutely. people are caring a great deal about what happens to their children these days. So um, yes. is there a way that people can intermingle with you all? Yes, please. Um, uh,
11: statewide, Californians for Pesticide Reform can be found at pesticidereform.org. Or you can look for us on Facebook, Californians for Pesticide Reform. And in the Monterey Bay region, the regional branch is called Safe Ag, Safe Schools. And again, you can find it easily by by, um, doing a a web search or or, or getting on Facebook if you still do that.
0: All right, Thank you, Mark Weller, for um, taking the time out and for all the great work you do on this for so many years. We really are grateful. Thanks for looking out for us.
11: And for you, too. Thank you, Dennis.
0: All right. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're going to take a short break, and then we are going to have a brand new edition of Food Fight with Food Not Bombs founder Keith McHenry. There's a lot going on on the streets there. Stay with us. And I We're not going to have food fight. Actually, uh, that was a rebroadcast. A very important story, though, about uh, those 13 pesticides in, in the Monterey Bay area. Uh, killers, this is uh, a tragic situation. It's been going on for years, and we thought that we wanted to rebroadcast uh, that for you. Um, we're going to take a short break. We're going to have special programming um, for the un- thanksgiving holiday in as some of my indigenous friends refer to it uh there'll be special broadcasting from alcatraz we're always proud uh, to be a part of that and now um we're going to say uh, thank you for allowing us the privilege of broadcasting over these free speech pacifica airwaves it is an absolute privilege non-corporate no holes barred truth to power Free Speech Radio at your service. Stay with us.